Hey, girlies. We're back for episode 28 of What the Fuck is CMOS? It's truly summer. Um, shout out to the CDC for all those vaccinated individuals can wear not wear masks in outdoor settings. I city biked through a meatpacking district. I felt like a hot bitch again. Yeah, it really feels like summer in New York. There's just people everywhere. I'm, except, you know, Emma and I both have chin acne, and that's not resolved for me. Of course, of course. The moment they're like, you don't have to really wear a mask on the streets, I get just... Three million whiteheads on my chin. I'm yeah, like, Biden. okay, what the hell is this? Yeah, the most impress, the most pressing matters are truly chin acne. Um, but in today's show, we're going to be talking about the wellness industry, one that we participate in, we consume products in, we know that you all all have to participate in as well, and talking about how problematic it is. I think that was the root of starting this podcast for us. Problematic, yeah. Kate and I definitely don't love certain aspects of the industry since it is, you know, it can be elitist, expensive, and there's a lot of just, like, taking advantage of different uh, ethnicities and cultures. And I think we've just... This has been, like, in the back of our brain of, like, for me personally, it was, like, why would I want to go work in a corrupted industry? But if you don't have anyone that wants to fight the good fight, like, trying our best to make this a better community for people in the wellness industry... It's going to stay corrupt. So it's like, if you don't want to be involved in wellness at all, happily don't do it because it is fucked up and there's a lot of aspects that are perpetuating discrimination and harm and inequality, but there's also opportunity for people to make it better. Yeah. And I mean, Kate and I are trying our best and we know we are too white women. Yeah. We are fully aware, fully aware. And like, because of that, like, yeah, there's probably going to be things that we're not going to fully understand or relate to other people, but you know, we're definitely open for conversation obviously and yeah if you have a critique on us you can bring it to the dms <laughs> yeah no i'm i'm totally open to mm-hmm. talking to people in the dms i think we've gotten a few after talking about diet culture and thinking about language we use around that and emma and i obviously do not want to talk out of our ass into the sense of talking about experiences we've not lived mm-hmm. so far it seems like we're painting like two white girls with eating disorders I don't want to talk about what it's like being misdiagnosed as a woman of color with an eating disorder. Because we don't know that. And we could have guests on. That's just not how our podcast operates. So I think for content purposes, that's one area we haven't really, like, felt comfortable doing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do a podcast on turmeric and matcha and adaptogens if those are, like, that would be me as, like, a colonizer, like, talking about these things. Um, So once again, with wellness and being in this space, it's really... I think important for people to have these conversations, whether you are someone that is like a a high level expert where you have like an MD background, or if you're just someone who buys the product, I'm of someone that thinks that more knowledge is good knowledge. And I think all of us have unique opinions Mm -hmm. and this is like an opinion podcast. Like this is not an informational podcast of my political beliefs and such. We've gotten a few comments about that as well. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, expect what you wish of just to, podcasters and if you want to have like conversation with people about the these certain topics join geneva yeah go to geneva people are always having conversations asking about other people's opinions and it's a really great place to facilitate certain conversations and talk more about really specific issues because you know this is a podcast kate and i would love to touch on everything but also there is some like limitations yeah and some topics that we probably will never touch some we want to touch but don't know what we want to do the diet one for example i think we inception of the podcast we want to talk about the diet industry that was so much what brought us to wellness but for the longest time i was like i do not want to have this because this is going to trigger people's their eating disorders and i don't feel comfortable having that space but you know with time it'll change how we want to touch this podcast but like i was saying or like i was saying geneva really is a vibrant community 
community. Uh, lots of diverse representation in there. People all over, the, not even the country, the world in that platform. Different ages. And I think it's a lot better than the one-dimensional aspect of social media where you're in a DM exchange or like critiquing someone, what they shared and what infographic they didn't share. But versus like having a, like, you're just going to be less emboldened to say the mean things when you're actually talking to another person in Geneva versus sending like a hate DM or like, yeah, just trying to cancel someone on Instagram. Um, but that's all complicated. So let's get into wellness, right? You know, there's a lot here. I think my political hat's going to come out in this podcast for all those who have been asking. But yeah, Emma? Yeah, so I think we're going to start off with just kind of like the timeline of wellness and how it started off as like just a concept and how it has grown to what it is today. You know, it's very much all about like mental, emotional, physical well-being. And so kind of like from like the post-1960s, U.S. context is what we're going to focus on. So in 1972, something called the Illness Wellness Continuum was proposed, and it's a graphical illustration of like a well-being concept proposed by Dr. John Travis in 1972. And basically what it's all about is like well-being includes mental and emotional health as well as the presence or absence of illness. And so in this continuum, on the right side, it displays degrees of wellness. And then on the left, it displays degrees of illness. So someone may have like an absence of a physical disease, but they could still suffer from depression or anxiety. And thus like well-being and like the whole concept of wellness is a very like dynamic process as opposed to it being static and you kind of have to work in harmony. So obviously, you know, if you're experiencing some sort of illness, you should treat that. And then, you know, with well-being, it's more just like the more you learn and like the more education that you expose yourself to in regards to wellness, like the more you'll become like optimally well. But it's like never like no one's ever going to be fully perfect. And I think you can always there's always going to be areas where you're going to have to like address and work on yourself. And once this was published in 1975, it was an immediate success and used by a lot of like health practitioners. And it just like fully kind of set the stage and illustrated the new wellness concept that we know today where, you know, there's like mental, physical and emotional health and well-being. Yeah. And bouncing off that, I think wellness, for example, like Emma was saying, used to be about living well and avoiding disease and like the death that killed our ancestor. Like the invention of medicine was to avoid dying of the plague. Like that was why a lot of these technical Um, And scientific innovations happen, but it gets perverted when wellness is now completed in a very self-aware manner. Everyone is taking care of their health in meticulous fashions, but it's far in advance of any medical problem coming to the surface. Like, why are Emma and I listening to podcasts about how to prevent Alzheimer's or, you know, really Mm long-term, like, diseases that we have not even had, like, precursing symptoms of? Um, And it creates this open for, like, an anti-science, very individualistic ethos in the United States where you get a lot of people that are not practice practitioners or anything that are giving health advice. And the usage of wellness, like Emma was saying, is like pre-World War II, but it ties a lot to these really kind of nitty-gritty concepts in America of health, morality, and responsibility, which I'm going to get into more in the podcast. But that's kind of why we're going to talk about with like things like Soul Cycle become a cult. It becomes a, a replacement for the lack of religion and the lack of religion specifically among young people in the United States that a sense of community and purpose and attachment to the way you look and to what you're eating and like the social signifiers that come with what you're purchasing. It's replacing this void filled by the lack of religion. The first sort of subject I think within well an industry perspective we want to talk about is exercise. So we all know our ancestors were not doing crunches and burpees. They were lifting heavy boulders and they were avoiding getting killed yeah, by animals. Yes. Um, and now the a book that I really recommend everyone to read by Barbara Enrich. She's a social psychologist, I want to say, 
um, writes a lot about like American culture specifically. She's written a lot about women's exercise, exercise in general, just society and you know like whatever that that topic um her book called natural causes talks a lot about how we exercise to avoid dying now i read this book right after my dad had a heart attack in the beginning of the pandemic because i was like physically like on a run and i was like thinking about the fact that like i am doing this to prevent having a heart disease down the line like that's so weird you know like so close to home that i don't think a lot of us think about why we are eating healthy and why we are scared of dying until it hits personally so one quote in this book which I thought was very interesting and kind of relates to I think perspective about like you feeling like you have any control over the world is I may not be able to do much about the grievous injustice in the world at least not by myself in very in a very short order but I can decide to increase the weight on the leg press machine by 20 pounds and achieve that within a few weeks so I think that represents that like we are very disempowered by everything else going on in the world I know for me with COVID I think a lot of people experience this where like gyms are closing. I don't have any control. I can't go see my family. I can't leave my apartment. Like what can I control? My physical aesthetics. Mm -hmm. So she talks a lot about how like workout culture now requires this strict ordering of the body and the mind together. And we now also relate this to like mindfulness and meditation practices, something that was very intuitive pre-smartphone, pre just like technological advances but now we use things like mindfulness to optimize our time it's not like we have like leisure downtime because of how much more we're working now and we don't have like time off and just like the whole work culture politically is so different but we discipline ourselves to get our brains back to normal as almost like a spiritual discipline like we know that we're so fucked up on our phones all the time that we need to like set a timer to sit in silence for 10 minutes because we don't know what that's like um, which I, it's just pe- peculiar to think about what you do on an everyday basis and like what we're avoiding, like avoiding death or we're avoiding our smartphones. Um, but further on physical fitness, it was weird cause I read this book at NYU in a fashion class and it brought up kind of the creation. We were talking a lot about the body, um, and fashion and the rise of, um, conspicuous consumption. And we were talking about fitness in the class. And like, when did personal fitness start? Um, You know, you can think about all of us were fighting in the wars and then you had the kings and the queens and the nobles that were all demonstrating their wealth by size. Like if if you were a very skinny person in like pre-1800s, that meant that you didn't have money because that was a way to show your wealth. But these two German guys, um, I mean, they're like German nationalists, Johann Gutsmiths and Friedrich Jahn in the 1800s. They started what is the modern gymnastics. So they like led all these old young men through like tight ropes and just like every sort of like gymnastic exercise as a way to create this regimen for people to restore their physical strength. But then it also like related to their morality. Like if you weren't able to get through these workouts, you were not tough enough. And I think like modern exercise is now like rooted in numbers. I read a book a few years ago called Essays Against Everything by Mark Grief. And he basically just like a critique on like different aspects in society in the first um, the first chapter is called like against exercise and basically like modern exercise. It's like, we all focus on like reps, pace, miles, weight, etc. And like this number translates to status and ability. So like, if you're able to lift, you know, I don't know, fucking like 190 pounds, like that translates to like you being some like godlike figure. And then this like number then translates to like, you know, when you go into the doctor's office, like body and weight measurements. And this really reminded me a lot about like yeah, like how we're so focused now on like physical appearance when it comes to exercise as opposed to like the mental like well-being, like the mental benefits of it. 
And I and think it, to interject, even someone who's tried to tell myself, you know, like, the, like I'm doing this for the endorphins. I also know in the back of my head, mm-hmm. like, I am subconsciously doing this for how I look. Oh, 100%. And I think, like, that's, like, you know, valid to a certain yeah. extent. But it just kind of reminded me, I think, especially once pandemic hit, when everyone started doing the Chloe Ting challenge. And, mm-hmm. like, how many YouTubers I saw... He literally measured their hips and, like, showed the measuring tape, like, before and after and just, like, how just, like, fucked up and, like, dangerous that is just to, like, show that out into the world when you have, like, a very, very young audience. And I think now, like, the reason I almost had to, like, take a step back from working out at the gym is because I was so focused on the numbers, like, you know, the Stairmaster, like, looking at all the calories and, like, how many reps I was doing. And now that I'm doing Pilates, that it has really helped me focus more on just, like, the physical, like, well-being and how I feel, like so much mentally better afterwards and I actually have energy as opposed to being depleted but yeah I think like modern exercise is so much now about just like numbers and like improving that as and like you get really detached from like your true body yeah for me like I played volleyball into college and I just had was so triggered by the weight room of like I was like the worst at squatting and hang cleaning and shit and as soon as I quit playing volleyball it was like this liberating moment of like I don't have to compete against anyone else like I am competing against myself every single day which is like still kind of fucked up to think about that but at least for me this the comparing to other people it wasn't so visceral and this brings the rise of like boutique classes soul cycle barry's boot camp i mean i've been to soul cycle and like i have friends that instruct there and like politically soul cycle is all fucked up for a lot of reasons but it's so ritualistic and it's weird because the founders really own up to it they're like yeah this is your tribe this is your family i'm like this is not your family this is where you go to fucking work out Mm -hmm. it's blurring the lines between what is like the personal and private space in a way that like distorts people from they're true, like, yeah, like, sense of a family. And I know workplaces do this, too, where you get in a Slack channel, and it's like, let's get drinks after. Not drinks, but, like, let's do a Zoom happy hour. It's like, no, you're fundamentally not going to give me a raise, and, like, I don't want to get in this schmoozy situation with you. Yeah, and I think, like, beauty classes definitely have, like, redefined fitness. You know, like, every single industry has experiences, like, bifurcation between, like, high-end and low-cost Um as for example, like Erwan, and then there's like, you know, like Trader Joe's or like your like normal, just like local grocery stores that are far more affordable. Mm-hmm. And so with like, I think boutique fitness are really like, now there's this like high end and low end of like, you know, gym memberships, Planet Fitness, Equinox, etc. And like boutique classes, they kind of started to merge in the early 2000s. And I feel like SoulCycle like really like hit it off with it. Yeah. And like, granted, I think like the appeal for a lot of like young people, especially like millennials and Gen Z, was just that it provided this like specialized experience. And or it like almost a like space to go. Yeah, and it's space to go. And you know, now like Kate said, like this whole like tribe culture, it's like very cult like and exclusive. And it like makes you then feel like you have to spend a shit ton of money for your workout to at least be effective. And I have that feeling all the time. Like I like always wanted to go to like Soul Cycle and try it out. And I was like, are my like little like stupid Pilates exercises mm-hmm. that I'm doing at home even like equivalent to what you would even experience at Soul Cycle? Yeah, and I think like it creates this a, a, a clear class status of who mm-hmm. has the money to go to these classes and who doesn't, and then it signifies much about your morality and that's like says about your personal wealth it's not even about if you're a nice person if you have you're really nice to your friends and your family and your neighbors it says like you're not a good person because you didn't go to these classes and that's like this whole podcast is just talking about how like all these moral values are put on you based on what you can consume and i think to like close off with like the whole like workout segment again and like the um essays against everything uh, Mark Grief mentions that, like, this new era of fitness and exercise has now just, like, brought more obsession and self-hatred towards ourselves rather than less. Like, because now it's, like, you're always going to be trying to chase this, like, on, like, something that's not even attainable, like, physical, like, body-wise. And it's always, you know, am I doing enough? And I still have that question every single oh, day. Yeah. Like, am I doing enough? Am I, like, walking enough? And it's, like, obviously really, really fucked up. 
But I think it's just now, yeah, with, like, this obsession of, like, making ourselves be as, like, perfect and optimal as possible, which, like, what even is perfect? And I think it's interesting, too. Emma and I have to check ourselves all the time with each other, but with everyone has their own rules. We all have our own rules we've ingrained about, like, how much working out is good working out. I think when you have, like, conversations with people about food, exercise, anything, like, I've had conversations and I'm like, oh, yeah, that food is this. And this person's like, oh, this food is so good. Or, oh, I only do this much workout or I do this much. And so then when you have these conversations with other people, I'm like, oh, fuck, do I need to be doing more or less? I think that's where you have to, like, stay in your own lane, as we've said many times. But now we're going to get into, like, the politics of the wellness and sort of, like, how to escape wellness culture and the toxic aspects of it. So CMOS girlies, let's talk about hormones. Let's talk about periods. Let's talk about mood swings. We've been crushing on Phazy. They make functional food for better periods and their stuff is made to support your cycle all month long. Once upon a time, the world taught us to feel bad about our periods and Phazy's here to undo that. Their ingredients are organic and packed with nutrients to reduce mood swings, cramps, and headaches. You name it. They literally make a product called Period Chocolate. It's like a fancy organic raw chocolate truffle with CBD inside. I mean, they also make seed cycling super easy. I've been wanting to try their new Neato Instant Mood Milks. They're like Nesquik, but for hormones, sweetened with maple sugar. We've been crushing on their IG for a while, and we're so glad that we're friends. Menstrual, follicular, ovulatory, luteal. Which phase are you? Visit phasey.co backslash CMOS to get 15% off your order. Now back to the pod. You know Emma and I can't shut up about starting your day with the perfect oatmeal toppings. And you're probably thinking, what could be better than securing a bag of maca powder or matching with a boy who actually knows what adaptogens are? Um, hello, a large and juicy medjool date. That's why we're so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, Julie's. Julie's is a pantry staple for all the wellness gods. Their hand-picked medjool dates from Coachella Valley, California, are certified USDA organic, naturally vegan, and free of all allergens. There is no better way to snack on Jolie's than with your favorite nut butter or on a bowl of oats, and Jolie's even has a date syrup to drizzle on a stack of pancakes. So if you want to taste some Jolie's for yourself, definitely use code CMOSGIRLIES for 15% off your first order. Now back to the show. Hey girlies, this wouldn't be a podcast called What the Fuck is CMOS without us having a CMOS sponsor. So it's time to learn what the fuck even is CMOS, thanks to our newest sponsor, 26th in Love. CMOS contains 90% of the minerals that the body needs. Some even call it nature's multivitamin. Crazy, huh? Here's just a preview at some of its benefits. Are you struggling with gut health? CMOS. Struggling with inflammation? CMOS. Struggling with adrenal fatigue? CMOS. Struggling with constipation? CMOS. You can use the code CMOS girlies for 10% off CMOS gel from 26 and love. Time to become a wellness god. All right, we are back. Now we are going to talk about the dogma and the politics of wellness, something that I have personally thought about a lot. So the rise of personal responsibility, when did that start? Wellness now is something that means more than staving off disease, but it's a belief that everyone is right. And it's also your moral responsibility to take care of yourself. It's very much like a new age religion that you need to be so consumed with your personal health. And this ties back to an era of time in the United States that I fucking hate. The Reagan era in the 1980s when there's this whole individual blame for collective problems that are caused by forces outside of us. Um, We're made to feel small, like we have to resolve things through what we can consume and purchase and what these purchases say about us and if we're a good person or not. Reagan is infamous for his quote about welfare queens and various comments that have now become ingrained in the American psyche. Like, if you smoke and if you drink and if you have to get food at McDonald's, you're a bad person and you don't know how to manage your money, frankly. There's a similar tinge. There's been the pushback to why do millennials not buy homes and they buy avocado toast? It's the same political rhetoric that is creating this sort of 
space between what a free choice is. There's no free choices when you look at the wealth inequality and the systemic racism and colonialism in this country. There's no way. When you look at the infant mortality rate and how that affects black mothers, when you look at how school segregation is actually worse now than versus Brown v. Board in the 50s, um, but it's a way for people to scapegoat looking at the actual systemic problems that are leaving some people from not being able to buy all the wellness products. For example, we don't have things like universal health care or affordable housing, yet we have tincture bottles. So we fail to meet these basic, very, very basic collective needs in food, education, housing, health care, clean water. And we isolate people into taking actions in consumer self-care. Now, Emma and I are, do this. I have self-care products. Mm-hmm. I'm aware. But I also fundamentally know that like this is not a substitute for me getting health insurance from my corporation. A really interesting study I was reading was kind of looking at um, the post-2010, so the Affordable Care Act, for those who don't live in the United States, was the first attempt in the United States to get universal health care. Now, it's not fully universal health care. It's run through the private marketplace, so it's kind of a patchwork thing in place. But basically, there has this been this increase in workplace wellness. Now, I'm going to have not worked in like a corporate workplace, but... It started when corporations offered incentives for their employees to participate in, quote, wellness activities. So thinking of those apps like Calm Meditation or forcing employees to like go on 10-minute walks or stuff like that that were, seg- or that were um, segmented into their workday. But while doing this blindly, companies also started to cut health insurance. But they offered these like fluffy meditation courses as an alternative. Granted, that's not substitute for you having health insurance or dental insurance or able to like go to the doctor. But oh, cool. Now I have like an app where I can go like chill out for 10 minutes. It's all bullshit. And the Affordable Care Act, like politically, it expanded the power of employers to incentivize participation in these little programs. But the act was also supposed to prevent um, discrimination in the workplace because it's an anti-discrimination law and wellness law. The ACA is if people want to get technical in it. So one thing, though, that the ACA did unfortunately do is that it re or did it reinscribed disability. So sick and unhealthy employees like people with chronic conditions like cancer or history of having different conditions are protected from discrimination under the American with Disabilities Act, which is another statute. But these wellness programs often will reinscribe discrimination because it'll be like, oh, you have this disability that doesn't fall into our list of different things. So you're kicked off for health insurance or you're not covered for all these programs. So these wellness programs that are so fuzzy, they intend to make these employees healthier, but it further marginalizes people when you include the access of disability. Now, this is all wonky political stuff, but basically you think about how our workplaces function. It creates new categories of difference and it reifies old status symbols that kind of create like the healthy people, the unhealthy people, the sick people, the well people. And it's they're very economically and socially disabling. Just to demonstrate that like wellness is an arrangement of power relations. It's not just something that's like a consumer self-choice. Um, getting into the next section, what self-care is. I think we all have our own like personal definition of it. And then also when we think about like what self-care represents in society. I first heard about self-care through the activist Audre Lorde when I was pretty involved with politics, like throughout college. A lot of activist groups would always say like, you guys need to prioritize self-care and like take that as your first step. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do the political work. And that made sense to me. I was like, yeah, if I'm tired and I don't have energy and I didn't sleep enough, I'm not going to be able to go protest for whatever hours over the summer. Um, Audre Lorde's quote in A Burst of Light in her book, A Burst of Light in 1988, wrote that caring for myself is not self-indulgent. It is 
for self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Basically, self-care has been used as a political tool of survival for marginalized groups for decades. When the system doesn't even acknowledge your existence, like you have to take to more holistic alternatives when the system like is denying that you are even worthy of legal rights in the system. But self-care now, like our conception of it, is so fragile and consumerist and distracted from actually what makes us feel good. Millennials, for example, spend twice as much as boomers on things like workout regimens, diet plans, life coaching, therapy, apps, to all improve personal well-being. And this gets into like capitalism, like we talked about more, like Things like Whole Foods, Soul Cycle, all signify different social classes, and it becomes a status symbol that you have the extra money to go afford a Soul Cycle class. And most of the products in wellness are going to be targeted towards women that are young, thin, toned, and white. Um, and this gets into, I think, with like different, you know, rituals in wellness, whether it be like personal hydration with eight cups of water a day, all the biohacking shit, the Apple Watches, Fitbits calorie counting, weight watchers. Um, Now we don't really think about wellness in terms of like how you're feeling, but it's all self-improvement, aesthetics, and consumerism. Yeah, and I think now it's just like everyone is now just like so obsessed on like fixing problems that like don't even really exist or need, that we don't even need to worry about. It's like, why are we all so obsessed with like protein? Like granted, yeah, we like live in like a meat-rich society and like with the whole like low-carb, high-protein keto craze, but like also, we as Americans generally eat twice the amount of protein that we need. So we're literally fixated on a problem that doesn't exist while there's like millions of people who are underfed. And so I think it's just like, yeah, everyone is like so scared to like think that they're like not meeting some sort of like correct, I don't know, like dietary need and that like they will go above and beyond and like spend as much as they can. Whereas like other people like literally like they sometimes like go to like the food pantry and like they don't have a say in like how much protein they're going to be getting fed for the week. And I think, granted, like, we do a lot of these things, like mm-hmm. seed cycling for optimal health, taking magnesium before bed because we want to help, like, deplete our earth, so, like, um, restore our magnesium mm-hmm. levels that are depleted. But at the same time, it comes a point of, like, questioning how much you are investing as a consumer into these practices. That doesn't make sense. Like, why am I buying a capsule or pill or something for a problem that I don't have, like we've been saying? Preventing for cures that you're likely not to have longevity-wise. And I think biohacking is really interesting because, like, what is this fixation on like, not even body fat ratio, but like how we're optimizing, like, I don't even know what the fuck the terms are, sorry, like ketones and shit throughout the day. Like, why do we have once again that much time? And that gets back to like leisure class theory of labor, where like only a certain strata of like people that work at home or like have flexibility, do not have kids, or at least they have childcare. We don't have universal childcare in this country. So how is someone going to track their levels throughout the day? Um... And, like, there's a lot of aspects, I think, of not even wellness, but, like, I'm saying just exercise and personal health as well that are, you're very privileged if you have the opportunity to, like, care about them. Um, yeah. And I think kind of as, like, an outro, I guess, like, with COVID, obviously there's been an increased interest in health and wellness, but it's also opened up this weird opportunity for wellness gurus to peddle and sell, like, cures because mm-hmm. people are now having conspiracies about, like, the medical establishment, um gym closures people are taking matters into their own hands having to find routines which can be good for some people like i'm not saying it's bad like i found a routine that works for me outside of like having to go to a gym and seeing numbers like emma was saying but also like it's dangerous when there's just so much like marketing around like everyone needing to lose weight all the time 
Yeah, and I think also, again, to go with that, like, there's definitely been more probably interest in, like, supplement sales. Obviously, like, vitamin C sales have grown, like, 70% year to date. And, like, U.S. dietary sales are up, like, 16.7% compared to from a year ago. So I think, like, because of COVID, more and more people are going to probably sh show greater interest. And they have been with, like, personal self-care and, like, personal, like, well-being and, like, taking matters into their own hands. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see how long this is going to last. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, like, chlorophyll, trendy are people just going to buy zinc and vitamin C because it seems like the right thing to do? Or are these going to be like consumer trends that last for five to 10 years or something like I'm personally interested in. But another thing that COVID made very clear was like the disparities that are produced by our health system. Um, people of color have experienced six times the rate of COVID related diseases as white people. And thinking about vaccine access, thinking about access to consistent testing, who's that affecting the most? Um, and even like who people who were able to like shelter in place and the people who like, yeah. still had to go and work at the grocery stores during the lockdown. And the fact that like everyone in line to get the vaccine first was not your quote essential workers. Um, it was your rich CEOs that were working from home the whole time that got to get their their vaccine before your average like grocery store employee or restaurant worker or transit employee was before that just proves that like <laughs> obviously we have such entrenched like social problems that wellness things are not going to solve that <laughs> like there's going to be huge huge problems underlying all of the marketing and products you see and that ties into the next thing which is appropriation um i think emma and i obviously as two white people in this space like are very familiar with the ways that i think we are taking up space and i've had this conversation of like maybe i shouldn't be doing this at all like, maybe we shouldn't be in wellness because there's too many white people and i don't feel comfortable like perpetuating such harms but granted emma's and my intentions i don't think we want to create the next turmeric matcha cbd product using adaptogens and these are internal questions i think everyone has to navigate themselves like what is the most ethical way to buy can white people enjoy matcha i don't know open-ended like, questions we, yeah open-ended questions for sure and like yeah as two white people, I don't even think we can, like, really answer that. answer that. And it is case by case basis. And I think there are brands that are doing the right thing. A tumor company that I really like, I don't want to pronounce this incorrectly, but it's Diaspora, I think. They source their turmeric um, ethically. Not Pot is makes CBD gummies, if you're interested in CBD. And I know that they donate a lot to bail funds, which is really awesome. But overall in wellness, yeah, there's going to be these very, like, colonialist takeovers of traditional healing practices like crystals, Reiki, yoga. I mean, that's pretty obviously intuitive. I mean, like, Ayurvedic, like, ancient, like, Eastern medicine, like, and practice. the question, I think, is who profits off of this knowledge? Mm -hmm. Like, is this being branded as new knowledge if it's something that has been practiced for decades? How to practice wellness? Like, how? what is your relationship to the brand or, like, to your consumer? And I don't want to limit this to, like... I only am ethical of how I produce or how I'm consuming things. It's like, you shouldn't just feel like I'm shopping from ethical brands. Like that's good for me because we've talked about, there's so many complications of like, why are we just seeing ourselves as consumers? Like, why are we not seeing how we actively participate in our neighborhood? Are you nice to the people that live in your building? Are you like, if you're in a college dorm, how do you treat the people that, um, prepare the food for you at the cafeterias how are you treating your grocery store employees and i think those are like ethical things that like thinking about wellness and like how you go into like health stores even is like something of interest but i think overall wellness it's it's ugly and it's like gross and i think perpetuates a lot of harm that emma and i don't like um because it undercuts like these communal re redistributive like approaches to healing that have been practices for decades but like we were saying before there's these trends where 
everyone is interested in chlorophyll now. Like, I don't think we're going back to communal things where we all get off our phones and all go live in the middle of nowhere. But it's how to, I think, go into this new economy and technology and find ways to, like, bring it back to communal healing. And I think that's, Emma and I, I think we've kind of found that with Geneva, with you guys. Like, a way to find communal self-care versus individualized, like, consumer self-care. I don't think Emma and I have been so like excited about talking to people all the day as introverts as true true introverts that only talk to like, each other literally true introverts who i can't tell you the last time i went out on a weekend night oh no and i think like again like being like interested in this type of space and having certain opinions on it like you know everything that Kate and i've talked about like we don't like the, the fluffy bullshit stuff that is part of the wellness industry and like we have found this like community of people that are our same age that like have the same exact feelings. Yeah. And we've all been triggered by yeah. freely. All we all been went triggered out. by freely. Like they fucking go to the fucking bulk section and scoop up their fucking spirulina from the jar. Yeah. And I think if you want to like pinpoint us as being like two other white people doing this, we have 800 people that have also had similar experiences. And I think that's like enough. That's mm-hmm. enough for me morally to feel like I have a community and I'm not even feeling like I, you know, it's it's like we've never had this like social it's like really beautiful to see everyone helping each other in a sense when they haven't even met each other like there might be a girl from the uk helping out another girl who like lives in ohio and having like seen them have that exchange and like bond over a certain experience is like the most rewarding thing ever and i don't think you know kate and i would really have felt as motivated to continue moving on and like going down like new routes with like the podcast and like future things that we're working on without the Geneva people. Right. And I think Emma and I felt like in wellness trapped as self-care individualistic, like isolated consumers. I felt for a while it was like, okay, so I take my tincture by myself in my corner and then that's all I do. And now like it doesn't feel like I'm alone in mm-hmm. my well-being. Like I don't feel like I am responsible for, you know, just taking care of myself, but now I have this community to take, take care, care of. of. And that's something I think I politi- I mean personally I was like I'm never going to have a community. Like what do you mean? I hate people. <laughs> like these are these are my friends now. Yeah, and I think it's a way to like make us feel like we have a sense of belonging and an accountability too. Like the experience of eating disorders is so isolating. I think also if you're interested in health and wellness, that can be isolating too. Everyone's going out and fucking partying and clubbing and like you're drinking kombucha and talking to timmy who doesn't know what adaptogens are (laughs) like it's it's not okay or i think it's okay to have a community that is a little bit selfish in the fact that like no i need this community to exist for my own self-care like i need geneva right now for me to fucking stay alive like i need these other people that are like interested in validating the same things that i've experienced at least yeah and so i think well, like you know when there is like an attack on us there's an attack on the geneva people and i yeah. just want to protect we're them. literally like mommies like whenever something happens i'm just like no like this is my community and i want to protect that and honor that and i want to like create a product for them yeah. too yeah and like i got like a we got a really nice dm from a girl who like posted something about geneva and she was like you guys like literally like i don't know where it'd be literally without you guys and i think it's just like there's so much that goes behind the scenes and there's so much again like you can't just, like, judge what you see on social media. Like, I think, like, Geneva is, like, truly, like, where you see, like, the real world of, like, our podcast and, like, Kate and I and, like, who these people fucking are. And it's, like, yeah, we run a fucking meme page and, like, yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, but literally, it's, like, I know it's stupid. You think I want yeah, to tell people I but run I, memes? there's, like, I think it's, like, you know, so I we have definitely gotten, like, hit at, but, like, a lot of, like, you know, fair but also unfair critiques. And it's, like, 
go to fucking Geneva and, like, you will, like, see, like, the real world and, like, the real picture and, like, why we, like, have a purpose to, like, literally, like, exist on this, like, platform and, like, create product and, like, move on with this. Yeah, and I think Emma and I are done calling ourselves, like, stupid girls with a meme page. It's, like, no, very much we are community creators and Mm -hmm. we are trying to create this space for people and I never, I think, really knew how to create space and hold that space for people without feeling like I am just, like, talking at people and it's really beautiful that Emma and I, like, don't actually participate in Geneva for an entire two days and like shit is popping people are talking about so much stuff and like sharing knowledge and information and i'm just really excited to see i think where this grows in these next few months um especially with like the opportunity i think of like the in-person meetups that's gonna just be like so cute um and precious to see you know everything we've been working on come to life yeah so that was a that was good intro outro yeah, I know. Most of the time we're, like, downer. We're like, I hate Freely the Banana Girl. Exit you know, I podcast. Feel, I feel, like, just excited with future and life and, you know, the potential that we have to change the world. Yeah, and then I, I sent her, or I was like, I'm, you know, I was like, fuck it. I'm posting that we're, we've, we're launching a product in Geneva, and it feels like we have, like, our babies out in the world. Even though you guys don't know jack shit, um... I'm just excited because it's going to be really beautiful. I think when we tell the story of the brand, yeah, once you guys are, your pantry is full of our products, it's going to be cute. Um, But like that, we did another pod. Um, pod. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you do actually like our podcast, you could leave (laughs) us a review in the Apple podcast store. That would be cool. But you also don't have to. Um, Just, just go hang out in Geneva. Hang out in Geneva with us. Yeah. All right. Hope you guys have a good rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the What the Fuck is CMOS podcast.